to the Two Button Crew Podcast. I'm Scott. We're going to be talking about game preservation today, and I am joined by Cimarella herself. Yes, that is me. And the one, the only, the myth, the legend, Glennis the Menace! <laughs> I am. Uh, should, should I go through the whole spiel about how you've been trying to find a nickname for me? I have, uh, yes. <laughs> this, I mean, I did it last podcast, but I had to be edited out of the last podcast due to technical difficulties. <laughs> That's true. So, yes. for those of you who don't know, for whatever reason, Scott has been trying to find a nickname for me, and uh, uh, that's the one he's settled on. Well, it's got to be the best one so far. <laughs> I will grant you that. <laughs> it makes you smile, so it works. It, yeah, it, it's not, it's bemused. It, it's a bemused expression. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about the preservation of video games, which is an evolving topic because the gaming industry is still young, but it's getting older, and I would say that it's becoming more of an issue because older games just used to be finished when they were shipped and sold, and these days we have modes and servers online multiplayer stuff, patches, mm-hmm. and on and on. So we're going to do our best to touch on all of that. But before we get to how it's done and why it should be done, I think we should talk about why it's important to preserve games. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think is a good starting spot for that? Well, I think at this point it's commonly accepted that video games are an art form. You know, art is something that we try to preserve. I'd say... Most games at least can be art. Don't you think some games are just uh, not good enough <laughs> to earn that title? I think it's difficult. I've I've heard several pushbacks on video game video games being art. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Ebert, I think, is the famous, or I should say, was um, rest in peace. He passed away a few years ago, but. Roger Ebert was the famous person that said video games aren't art and they will never be art. And I believe that he did rescind that statement On after. His deathbed. <laughs> after video games are art. <laughs> okay, that's a little bit cruel, but he he was a film critic, hmm. and he I believe did rescind his statement after he saw so many people stand up for it mm-hmm. and prove him to him that it is art one of the things one of the contentions on art is that art is typically static okay in that it does not change um, whereas video games you don't every... go paint a mustache on mona lisa exactly mm-hmm. you don't when you watch a movie yeah it's... but you, you do restore art correct oh correct but when you watch a movie, you may restore it. You may bump up the visuals. There's the what, what's that? You remaster. Called? It. Remaster. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. You might put Hayden Christensen in the end scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and are you saying that Star Wars is an art? <laughs> because Star Wars has changed. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But well, and and that's that's also the contention is there are little changes, but I think I think we can safely assume that. The video games are art. There's so much work put into them and so much beauty that comes from them. And oftentimes, nowadays, there are games with fixed a fixed number of outcomes. Mm-hmm. You have, uh, I can't remember the, the studio off the top of my head, 
they have it to where you have a certain number of outcomes. You make choices, and there's a certain number of endings. Mm-hmm. And so that's static. But even the games that are not, games that you freely control your character, you just look at them and you say, somebody has put so much time and effort into this. Mm-hmm. And in that in itself, I think, is safe to say yeah. that it well, is art. So- what, what you're saying is that because the player has control over the events in the game, that's what some people take issue with. Yeah, they would they would classify it differently. They wouldn't quite say it's art. They well, would then say by that metric, uh, performance art wouldn't be art. It would be... Uh, you know, I think we're getting sidetracked because we're yeah, trying that... to find art. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's I, not what we're here for. I threw us down that it, rabbit It's commonly hole. accepted that video games are art. I started yes. that way for a reason, and now Except we're debating. Except for one dead guy. <laughs> okay, so I, I claim is commonly accepted. <laughs> Who rescinded his statement. Let us continue. <laughs> but regardless, they're, they're affected by culture. They're, they're a, a representation of our culture, mm. and I, I think on one hand, it's important to preserve them as, you know, products of culture you know even like you know we we even hang on to like swords and stuff from the middle ages because that was a product of its culture you know it may not be art it was a tool in the case of swords it was a tool to you know kill people but (laughs) a weapon (laughs) but um Maybe not the best example, but, you know, it, it's still, we see that as, it's a piece of history. It was something produced by a culture at a certain time for a certain purpose. Yep. With, you know, and in some cases, even with a certain sense of aesthetics. Yeah. Right. And we're making classics, and we're going to want to be able to experience those again in the future. We're also going to want to introduce those to our kids and grandkids and stuff. I have a garage full of Bionicle sets that I plan on giving to my son, and maybe I'll be like Lord Business and be like, you can't take these apart. What, what if you have a daughter? <laughs> She's going to love Bionicle. <laughs> and uh, she I'll, could. I'll just keep trying until I get a guy. Yeah, it's the 21st century, Simeon. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, gender stereotypes, Scott. Yeah. Video games are a little bit more fragile i guess like when somebody releases music or a dvd or blu-ray people can create dvd players and cd players in the future because they're not proprietary even if the technology is way outdated it might still be able to create players for those and even create copies of those discs and movies before the originals crack and shatter so that those things Mm -hmm. will be able to be re-experienced but we're in this kind of dangerous spot with games where a little bit too much is like still held onto by the publisher. They're in charge of maintaining servers. Like Wii eShop, no, it wasn't called eShop, the Wii Shop channel just mm-hmm. shut down recently. And like that was in Nintendo's court, and no one was really able to prevent that from happening. No one's going to be able to kind of recreate it because they don't have the rights to do that. Now, Nintendo gave us some heads up, like, you have till this date to add funds, you have to this date to purchase games. But it's a little scary when so much of this art form comes down to people in business suits saying, how long are we going to keep these old servers up because we're paying for them? Yeah. That does kind of illustrate, you know, sometimes you just miss a good game, and it's hard to go back because it hasn't been re-released or hasn't been reprinted. 
and the hardware is, you know, maybe you don't have it anymore or the hardware is hard to come by. Though, I guess on that note, hardware typically isn't too hard to come by unless it was something really, you know, obscure like the 3DO or one of Atari's 90s platforms <laughs> like the Jaguar. Like, even I can go down to my local used game shop and they'll, they'll have like three or four Dreamcasts for sale, so... Let me ask you guys a question. Maybe you know more about this than I do. Because when I said in the future people can make a DVD player if they want to use Mm it, and I was going to say that's not going to happen for Wii or Wii U, but then again, we have Retron 5, which seems to be a legal thing that Nintendo's not shutting down. the, The reason that works is that the hardware is protected by patent, not copyright or not trademark or whatever. Mm. That that only lasts uh, up to 15 years. And after that, anyone can make something that runs NES hardware. So hardware isn't really the big issue okay. necessarily, or at least the, the platform you play it on. Like the, the actual physical media that the game comes on may, may be an issue. But yeah, I have um, I actually do have an NES, but it doesn't work because, I don't know, maybe it's, it's dirty or... One, like, one of the issues with the NES is that it has an um, anti-piracy chip that apparently uh, deteriorates over time. Huh. And really? It's a real... Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually a really easy fix to, to, to disable it. You just have to cut a pin on the CPU, which is a nerve-wracking proposition, but... <laughs> And I remember watching a YouTube video where someone wanted to try to just solder it and twist it off because he said, this is a piece of history and I don't want to permanently Hmm. change it in some way. If I want to restore it to original condition, which unfortunately he wasn't able to figure out how to, you know, remove the pen without cutting it. So Hmm. Um, that's actually reminds me Game Boys, original Game Boys actually deteriorate over time too. Their screens, like, I think the adhesive that holds them in fails over time and then they like start growing mold and stuff. It's weird. Ew. But also yeah. sometimes they survive bombings in wars. So. Yeah, you'd think it's something that could survive being blown up by, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, uh, I think it was an RPG. It may have been an improvised explosive device. Right. You know, you think something that could survive that wouldn't deteriorate over time, but eh. I think I saw this picture in Nintendo Power, but if you're listening and you're not familiar with the story, you can probably Google Game Boy Bomb, and mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, come to think of it, the screen was the one part that had to be replaced. Okay. But also okay. with Game Boy, there's batteries in the cartridges for save files. And thankfully, oh, yeah. those are like watch batteries and not proprietary, mm-hmm. so those can be replaced. Yeah, but good luck ever... cracking it open though, because Nintendo likes to, you know, use some proprietary type of screw. You heard that right, proprietary screw. <laughs> <laughs> Simeon, you hate proprietary stuff, don't you? Now, what what exactly do you mean by that? Give me the rant. Like a company makes something unique with their own mold. Oh, fob that. Yeah. Okay. So the the biggest thing to me is, oh, oh, you got me started, is power sources. Those are the biggest pains. Like, you could have an electric razor, and if you lose the cord to that razor, you cannot use that razor anymore. Yeah. Like, there's nothing that, I mean, unless you're, you know, can solder and you're technical and all that junk, you know, maybe you can find a way to rig it up to where you can use it me a a layman who doesn't know how to do all that sort of thing 
I'm just gonna throw that razor out like and this comes with any sort of electronic device if it has a specific power cord thing like my wife's computer oh like the one we're skyping with right now I, yeah i forgot the power cable simeon has 35 electronic devices in this house yes but he can't help me out most most of my laptops have the exact same plug-in in fact i use my laptop plugins yeah. to run my speakers and all that sort of thing except can you can apple. you use one of those induction chargers with a laptop battery what? For Apple, <laughs> I doubt it. Fry it. Okay, so I now to tie this conversation back into gaming somehow. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, a, a lot of things. Systems becoming outdated is one thing that can uh, threaten a game, its future longevity. And also, as we stated, you know, like the cartridge deteriorating, especially if there aren't many of them to begin with. That's also Another true. thing is studios closing. Right. And this gets more into copyright law, which is, you know, kind of a tangled mess, <laughs> as many people will, will go on and on about. Studios, they sometimes they close and no one really knows who owns the rights to the game anymore. Yeah, or at least the rights are split up and stuff. Yeah. Which is why we don't see some of the more popular, like, licensed games come back on NES Classic Edition, stuff like that. NBA Jam, those rights are kind oh, of split yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're having real life people's names and jerseys in the game, stuff like that. Also, we can speak on this as it wasn't a studio closing, but once we, as Two Button Crew, released our video game Accelerated Delivery many moons ago, we had. We. I don't even know exactly how it happened mm -hmm. that we lost the game. But for, for some reason, we cannot access the game. People who bought our game and downloaded it cannot access the game. It's because of, of the way the keys work. Yeah, I can tell you. You had to sign in with a username and password to prove that you bought the game. Yes. And that checked with a website that we no longer pay for. Right. So so because we do this... so uh, there, there you is did a DRM. Yes. Yeah, we, we DRM'd. <laughs> but hey, well, you don't was... have the source? You can't patch that out? No. Well, we, it's possible that somebody knows how to do it, but they won't, they haven't talked to us in a while. We, we, I still think that we need to just bug Alex over and over again and just right. say, hey, we, we want access to accelerated <laughs> delivery. Let's release it freeware or whatever. For WiiWare? Freeware. I know, I'm just Freeware. Kidding. No, I, I just, just as a clarification, and DRM is another one of those things that might make it difficult to preserve games in the future, but and that's tied in with the online only, and we'll get to that. DRM has been cool on PC for a, for a little while. It was when they announced it for home console with the Xbox One that people started to freak out because with Steam, that's a that's, I think that was a relatively accepted way of doing DRM. Well, the we, thing is, with, we were with not connected Steam. to Steam. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Steam, you only need to like log in once every two weeks or something to access your games. Yeah. And not even all games have DRM on Steam. Right. The, the, yeah, but the, the issue is with the Xbox was that you always had to be connected to the internet. So if you disconnected, you couldn't play your games, which, you know, since I live in a rural area, that's kind of a... That's kind of a problem in, in a lot of cases because you don't always have access to high speed internet. Right. And and why don't we why don't we segue? Online only is a difficulty because 
first of all, we, I mean, this may be an ignorant thing to say, but I don't know what the future holds. The internet <laughs> may become a thing of the past. You know, we, we don't know. Maybe they'll come out with a better internet. Maybe, or maybe this whole... Uh, net neutrality thing will mm. screw us over. We d we don't know exactly how that's going to pan out in the future. We can't see it in into the future. Online only might become a problem, and it already has become a problem. Yeah, one example would be on our YouTube channel, Two Button Crew. We made this video about one of our favorite Wii games, Tatsunoko versus Capcom, and. Fortunately, this isn't a game that only has online. It's just that it was a competitive fighting game, and it had single-player, local multiplayer, and a very popular online multiplayer as well. One of mine and Simeon's favorites to play against each other, and we made this video about it, kind of a throwback video, and this Tatsunoko vs. Capcom group of fanatics found us, and they invited us to their Facebook group, and they still play, although We Connect 24 shut down, they have somehow taken it upon themselves to do their own servers. And I think they're playing this game through like Dolphin emulation that lets them point it to their own servers and they get to play with each other that way. Yeah, and so, that's that's not uncommon. There are a lot of Wii games that do that, that people have done that for. And even Melee, like Super Smash Bros. Melee, people are playing that online with each other. With, huh. uh, with It's called 20XX. So, yeah, people find a way. Where there's a will, they make it a way. Yeah. But well, the problem is, though, is that uh, a lot of times what you have to do is, from what I understand, you have to gather uh, packet information. You have to actually get the, uh, have something that examines what's being sent in and out. And there, there are programs that will do this for you called packet sniffers. But um, the information that's being sent in, out, in and out, and you have to basically reverse engineer what information is being shared and how. And unfortunately, if you don't have someone, if someone isn't doesn't have the foresight to do that for all of their games, and then give share that information with you, then you know you don't know how that how that's done. It's true. Well, I suppose you could. It'd be very laborious, but you could theoretically do it just by looking at the handshaking and figuring out how to get a positive result for that, and then going step by step. I do want to point out as Dark Simeon. One of the more popular games that this happened to was Fantasy Star Online for the Sega Dreamcast. Uh, it was got the online in the name. First popular online system. Yeah. The Sega Dreamcast. I know there were others before it. That was one of the games that was home console online that people really attached to. And they didn't want to give it up. And so people are still playing their Dreamcast online mm. through these interesting methods. Mm -hmm. So how about this limited production point? What games do we know of that are hard to preserve just because not many of them came out? Too many in the list, but I'm drawing a blank at the moment, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, it's like being asked, what did you learn at school today? There's just so, you know, usually there's so much that you can't just pick one thing. <laughs> how about like one that would be significant to us as Nintendo fans in 10 years or something? I know Link, that crossbow training. <laughs> maybe. I think like the Banjo and Kazooie games are hard to get a hold of and they're really expensive. Earth Earthbound. For the longest Earthbound, time Earthbound yeah. was not re-released and it was it was not financially successful for so there weren't that many uh, it had a very short print run mm -hmm. here in the states 
And as a result, to get a cartridge of the game to play it legitimately, I mean, you could always emulate it. We'll get into that later. Yes. But to play it legitimately, <laughs> you had to like shell out $200. And, you know, we're, we're not talking $200 for a box copy. We're talking $200 just for one cartridge. Wow. And there were issues in emulating that copy correct like that yeah there were some anti-piracy measures that um and this is one of my favorite examples of uh developers just being jerks about anti-piracy because what it would do was it would increase the encounter rate so that you were constantly flooded with enemies so that the game was much harder than normal and if you somehow manage to not rage quit and get to the end of the game, and Earthbound is has lopsided difficulty in, in like the the regular game, so yeah. putting more enemies on screen would be uh, pretty crazy. Uh, if you did somehow manage to get to the end of the game, it would crash halfway through the final boss battle, <laughs> and then when you reset the game, all of your save data was deleted. That's, oh my goodness! That's amazing. <laughs> Once again, going not Nintendo. E.T. for the Atari, they destroyed so many copies, and right. I believe I believe they they found some. Obviously, most of those are not going to be playable, but there are still cartridges of that out. Yeah, if you're passionate about this topic, you can watch a documentary of people trying to go dig up E.T. for Atari. Yeah, and they did find it, so that's great. I mean, there's some professional video game preservationists. I've listened to them on the Game Informer podcast, and it's just fascinating. Game Informer is one of the few outlets that have like a big office with, they call it the vault, and it's like just about every retail game that's ever come out. They get one copy and they put it on the shelf. Oh, that's and, cool. Yeah. They also have this room with, it's like called the graveyard, and it's like a ton of unused rock band instruments and then old <laughs> review copies of games for like Sega Genesis very like old bulky cartridges and stuff and this they had this preservationist come out to check on their collection and see like how things were stored and make sure that nothing was getting damaged and sure enough even just with the way that people like the staff at Game Informer and we ourselves at home store our games can either ruin them or keep them nice like they had a, a bundle of Sega Genesis games duct taped and the tape went around everything and even touched the what's it called the, little the contacts strip. the mm -hmm. contacts yeah so they were getting gunk on that so they had these professionals come and like clean stuff up and store it in a way that's actually good which uh, I think is important too like if we're hanging on to stuff in our garage it would make sense to make sure that it's not just gonna be ruined by the time we open it up in 10 years yeah you know, so. and that that is the thing that uh you know I've, I've heard people talk about collectors and stuff you know they they hate it when you like remove the original cover or something if it like gets damaged yeah uh, that will yeah if you like do stuff like put a new label on it or something so that looks nice that that will tick off a collector big time right um, yes. so if you ever intend on you know doing something like that maybe include something to let people know that that's not the original label or the original cover art speaking of that and collectors i wish i had clicked on the article but i just saw a headline that said nes cartridge collectors really care about how many screws are in the back of the cartridge. So, are NES cartridges known for having the screws come out or something? 
Maybe. I've never heard that. I think with that, it maybe you can like open up cartridges and um, like reflash the ROM. Reflash the ROM. What does that mean? Basically means you overwrite what's on there with maybe a different game. So you can get a cartridge that's one game and then just like put a label on it, download a, uh, a ROM from the internet, flash it onto the cartridge, and pass it off as another one. So, you know, that may be an anti-getting-cheated like, thing. I see. I'm really curious what you were going to talk about here, Simeon. Okay, so I, I put I put on the outline government interference, but they were supposedly the ones that created this game. I'm going into... Uh, conspiracy theory territory here with some. Oh, we Polybius. talking Polybus? Yes, Polybus? Polybius. If you don't know what Polybius is, back in, I believe it was the 80s, apparently some places, I believe in Oregon and other places around the United yeah, States. And for the record, this is like tinfoil hat stuff. There's, yeah. there's like no records of this actually, like no definitive records of this being true. This is all Great. hearsay. Great. I can't wait to hear it. Okay, so. And another thing that I want to make an aside to is I am really disappointed in Stranger Things for not putting a Polybius uh, <laughs> arcade sis, uh, arcade machine in the arcade scenes. Unless they did and I completely missed it. Yeah. I, well, and that's something that actually it, it gets referenced a lot on TV. I think there's a couple of uh, episodes of like The Simpsons where you can see a Polybius machine in the background. So if you don't know what Polybius is... Supposedly, it was something similar to uh, a game called Tempest, which is where you're this weird polygon flying through space, going around this square shooting stuff. It was supposedly used in government mind control experiments, put in arcades. Maybe it gave off some sort of drug. We don't, you know, obviously this this is, you know, tinfoil hat stuff. I don't know. I think it could have existed, but we don't we don't know. The the notion usually it's described as using subliminal messages, and I don't think you could really do subliminal messages on the hardware at the time. That's true. <laughs> The story goes that people who played it, like, they got addicted to it, and then they had, like, weird violent um, episodes and just abnormal behavior, even more abnormal for than people who are, com you know, compulsive about video games. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. We do not have any trace of Polybius besides stories. We don't have any actual machines. So it's possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, and if you want to expand not, the whole right? government interference thing further, we can go back to copyright law and saying that, you know, that is sort of government letting these laws and stuff get kind of unruly and out of control and Byzantine and all of that. So, so it's even though they were supposedly the ones that created the game, they could have taken this away from us. And to answer your question, Scott, Yes, they would know if they had played the games, but can we trust them in that they did say they played the games? Can we trust them that they actually did? Yeah, I have an uncle who works at Nintendo that was working on the home port of Polybius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, oh. here's something that does happen today, and that's that games get patches, which makes me wonder, how are we ever going to, in the future find out how a game played when it was first released because we're going to have all these consoles 
that have updated patches on them. I guess you could say you could wipe the hardware and stick the disc back in unpatched, but like on a second run of a game, it's going to have the latest update. So yeah, there's no archive of, of a way to like play each version of a game. Like Smash Bros, I want to go back and play when she could kill with up air, back air, and forward air. That's what I was going to say. I want to go back to where Luigi actually had good combos and then they nerfed him for no reason. So how can yeah. we do that? Yeah. <laughs> Again, copyright makes this difficult because I remember hearing, this is Nintendo stuff, but I remember hearing years ago that Blizzard shut down a WoW server that was running the 1.0 build of the game. Really? Yeah. Wow. And some fans had, had put together a... Uh... <laughs> okay. That was okay, a good yeah. one. I'll, I'll give you that one. Uh, but Next I'd like to say, lol, if you could. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Continue, Glenn, please. Just continue. Anyway, so they, they wanted to have this little community where you can enjoy the game like it was before all the expansions and stuff. And Blizzard eventually said, no, this is a violation of copyright. Wow. Uh, and they shot it down. So, yeah, and, you know, bringing it back to Nintendo, yeah, we, we will never be able to uh, show people what Smash Brothers was like when it was first released or how little content Splatoon had when it was first released. Do you think someone is, like, ripping each version of the patch and making mounted disc or however you say it? Like A mom? Yeah. You know, probably, there probably is someone out there that has done that. And we can get into, like, ROMs and uh, piracy again later. But, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that is out there and if you really want to but would, uh, find it. Would that be illegal for me to go online, get that version, burn it to a disc, and play it? I do own Smash Bros. Yes, it would be illegal. And the reason is you're not allowed to redistribute stuff. Now, that said, if you had done it yourself, if you had made that backup yourself... And used it entire. It was only for your own personal use, at least here in the United States. That's totally legal. So what you're telling me, Glenn, is I'm going to have to move to a different country to play as the chic I want to be. <laughs> uh, Maybe. Or Maybe. what you could do is you could contact this guy, and he could walk past you on the street, <laughs> accidentally drop it on the ground, and you accidentally drop down you know 40 bucks and then you find it and finders keepers i think that, that's that would the law. still be Ill oh, okay, fine, whatever <laughs> well that would be theft technically if you want to do it off the books that would be mutually agreed upon theft wow now glenn is guilty by association because he's not trying to stop us yeah uh no no i, I see nothing I, I see nothing nothing <laughs> I know nothing. Uh, yeah, Simeon gets a reference. Yes. So now we're going to talk specifically about ways that we can preserve games. There's a, a number of different methods, obviously, depending on the medium you're working with specifically. One of those ways that we've kind of touched on is the secondhand market. Going to thrift stores, buying used games from, probably not from GameStop, but <laughs> from secondhand stores. Uh, or, honestly, GameStop might get more retro because they are having business troubles with trying to stay on top of stuff, competing with Amazon and Best Buy. So yeah, they might they might get more old school. 
Or you can go to Mexico to a flea market and <laughs> randomly find two cartridges of A Link to the Past and buy one of them, like I did. Nice. But it might be like cool Yosh and Marino from Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it, it might have been, yeah. I, uh, I think you're thinking of uh, China, Scott. <laughs> Funny Dino <laughs> and... <laughs> and well, ha- have you ever seen those... Because uh, there are like a lot of ROM hacks that are kind of pirated versions of games that come out of uh, China and Russia, oddly. Those are the two. So just buying games secondhand, that's something we can do to fulfill our duty? Is that what we're saying? I think so. Yeah, I recently released on our blog, tubuncrew.com slash blog, a thing on Bomberman Hero, and I got that game from my local game exchange, as I mentioned in the article. And so that's that's a way of keeping these things in circulation, and I think it's, you know, if you're not going to play it, don't shove it in a closet and leave it there, mm-hmm. which I think i've been guilty of doing <laughs> but uh you know just put it out there so that more people can experience it more people are taking care of these things i agree with that and i just recently went to an electronics store that we have nearby Ooh, that buys an electronics an electronics store, an electronic store. I, I say that because it's more than just video games yeah and they also have it's called entertain mart so they have comic books and all sorts of weird things and Oh, it's a nerd stop. Gotcha. Yeah, basically nerd stop. So I went there with a tote full of random junk. Not junk, but some of it was junk. And it was CDs, DVDs, video games, even my broken down Wii and NES. And they took just about everything that I had. And it's great because other people can experience the games that I played. They even took, which I was super surprised... They even took my Street Fighter II Tiger Electronic Liquid Crystal game wow. that is really not that good. Did you feel fairly reimbursed? I did. I was actually surprised at how much my junk was worth. The one thing, the one major thing that they did not take was my NES. And that was because it didn't have a controller with it. Hmm. I didn't want it. I have my Retron, so I... Even though I grew up with that NES, I'm like, I, it, it takes up so much space. I want to get rid of it. Gotcha. Still want to get rid of it. Maybe do a giveaway. <sighs> oh. And it comes with a free Metroid Prime trilogy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shoved in the cartridge slot, even if you don't want it. Uh, I kind of hope you never get rid of that thing now, because then we're, what, what are we going to joke about? <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Well, it's kind of become a fixture. Okay, so you're saying stuff you are never going to use or you have duplicates of. Put it back in the market so that people who want it can experience it. And and support it as well. Go and yeah. buy used games. All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I most of the used games I've bought so far have been for the PlayStation. So I, I've got like Street Fighter uh, EX plus Alpha and Tekken. I went through a 3D fighter phase recently, so. Nice. Yeah. And the, the great thing about a lot of resale sh- stores is that they restore these things to working condition. Yeah. If you buy it, you basically have a money-back guarantee. If it doesn't work, then you can take it back and they'll fully reimburse you. At least all the ones I've gone to. Right. So I'll touch on the next method, which is remakes and re-releases. This comes down to the developers. It's not really in our hands, except for once a game is created, like Metroid Samus Returns for 3DS. The onus was on Nintendo until it got released, and then it transferred to us in order to purchase it and support that game. So it 
It was yeah. a really good remake. It helped that game's legacy survive for more generations to come. In a more modern cartridge, which should last a lot longer than the Game Boy one, too. But the thing we do need to acknowledge at that point is that game was very different to the point where uh, the folks over at Mercury Steam, the ones who actually developed it, said it was more of a reimagining than it was a straight remake. Yep. We have a whole podcast on that specific game. Well, we have a whole podcast on uh, remakes as well. Yes. So we've covered everything. But wouldn't it have been nice if Metroid 2 for Game Boy was playable on that cartridge too? Ooh. Cause that yeah, but that they, they want to sell eShop games, so... That's yeah. also true. <laughs> I mean, if you did get if you did get original, it probably would just be an eShop download code. Yeah. Definitely. Which would have been cool. That would have been a great way to discourage people from uh, buying the game used. Because, hey, yep. you want the free download code for Metro, the original? You got to buy that buy that sucker new to get Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And it should have come with the special edition, which was $10 more, and it had that it reversible have. cover, which actually gave you the Game Boy uh, original box artwork. Yeah, that would have been a great thing to throw in there. But, yeah, so remakes, like I said, the issue with remakes is that it... Usually they change stuff in remakes, and so it isn't always the same game. Sometimes it's wildly different, like, uh, you know, the Metroid case. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's wildly different, but... It's more uh, like preserving the spirit of the game than the actual software. And sometimes it's it's little things, like Super Mario All-Star, or All-Stars, and Super Mario Brothers 1, some of the physics is a little strange. Like, if you break a block, you keep going upward after you hit it. Hmm. Only in Super Mario Brothers 1 for some reason, but you know that didn't happen in the original hmm. NES version of the game. Right. So remakes sometimes change things, sometimes they make mistakes or they forget to include stuff. I do want to add to this list, not just remakes and re-releases, but releases. Yes. Like we saw in Star Fox 2 on the SNES Classic, where there was a game mm-hmm. and we didn't know if we would ever actually get it. I mean, there were people who obviously, I think they got their hands on uh, a prototype build. Yeah, yeah, yeah prototype like build. 95% complete. But we finally got a finished game mm-hmm. released to us. And so I think that that's another thing that we can hopefully look forward to more of is games that ultimately were not released, but were in prototype build. But we want to preserve that, and we want to see them released in some sort of finish. Yeah, the uh, English version of uh, Earthbound Beginnings was was another example of that, because that game was fully localized. The, the ROM had been leaked on the internet, and it was all ready to go. And then someone said, hey, wait a second, the NES is dead. Hmm. <laughs> maybe, maybe we shouldn't release a, an RPG you know, RPGs weren't a big deal back then. You have right. to keep in mind that was not something that was popular in the North American market until Pokemon and Final Fantasy VII came around. They said, "Yeah, it's a niche genre. It's for an outdated system. We have the Super Nintendo on the horizon. Let's just not bother." Speaking of Star Fox Two, Simeon, that just brings up the whole classic edition topic, which mm. I think is pretty good of what Nintendo is doing to help in this effort of preservation because. Out of nowhere, they just brought back a whole slew of classic games and reproduced the actual controller. 
and just made it so that we could play it on modern TVs, which I think is great. It's kind of like renewing that generation, giving us access to it for many more years to come because HDMI should be around for a while, a long while, and Hopefully. I'm really happy that we have those. So, of course, they couldn't include every game in the library. It's missing things, so you have to get those uh, more obscure titles and preserve them in other ways. But I do think the classic editions are really cool, and I really hope that Nintendo will continue with this classic series and get into Game Boy games and stuff like that. It also mm. runs into what you said about preserving the spirit yep. of what it felt like when we originally play these games which is way better than emulating on a keyboard or something like that yeah and glenn will hand it over to you for emulation in a second but i also think it's important in this day and age for us as switch owners and nintendo fans to just be purchasing releases like simeon said but indie stuff things that never have a cartridge the availability of those games will go away someday so i think it's important to be a gamer in the present as well downloading whatever looks best on the eShop yeah. every week, every two weeks, every month, whatever you can afford, but be supporting these developers who are making downloadable games right now so that you'll have them on your console for the future, past the point when you're not able to download them anymore. That That is definitely is another thing that can threaten a game, is just not having a physical release. Right. You know, if that's like the Wii Shop going down, and I think the DSi shop being closed down. We lost some games because of that. We that's did. so true. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about DSi shop, but that's a, a big one. It is. Yeah, and it's one of those things that makes me worried. I have a few download games on the 3DS that I don't particularly... I, I don't really like. I, I want to say it was uh, the Moon Chronicles yeah. or something. I've heard good things about it. It's done by Renegade Kid, who did Mew and Muds. They've since split into um, multiple teams. But I didn't really care for that game. I only bothered to get the first episode because it was released piecemeal. But I'm thinking if they announce that the 3DS eShop is going to close sometime in the future, I might just buy an extra SD card to put everything on so that yeah and download that because one it's my property right um, i have a right to that but two it'd be kind of a shame if this thing just vanished and because of that though i think moon chronicles has been released on like steam so that may not be an issue let's say in a decade from now nintendo needs to shut down the switch eShop. now that developers have control over their own prices i would love to see just everything gets slashed on the last day so that people are like, I never would have bought this originally, but this is my last chance. I'm going to pay $1.50 just for everything and just get a loaded up switch. I would do that. So anyway, on to emulation. So first of all, we need to address some stuff. Some people might be under the misconception that emulation is illegal, and that is not true. Emulation itself is per a perfectly legitimate practice, and as a matter of fact, that's what the uh, Wii Virtual Console, the Wii U Virtual Console, the Switch, the NES Classic, those are all emulation. Emulation so, means running certain kinds of software, right? Right. What emulation basically is, is that you write a piece of software, an emulator, that mimics the hardware of a system. I've done some technical articles where I talk about color palettes and stuff. So what emulation would be in this case is you would have the memory of the NES. The program would have a certain amount of memory that is laid out in the same manner that the NES's memory was. 
and so forth. And what it does is it reads all of the code in the ROM and you know the the game and uses that as it kind of you kind of have a virtual processor that gets the instructions and then performs the operations on the data as it's uh, specified. It's, it's kind of hard to explain without going into how to do this as an advanced topic in computer science. I actually have written a virtual machine of sorts before. And, uh, awesome. So I think the advantages to emulation are clear. I mean, preservation of the game. What, right. are, what are disadvantages of emulation? There's a few. One of them is that you don't always get 100% replication of uh, certain features. I've actually seen, there's a YouTube channel called Game Hut that is really interesting and he talks a lot about, it's a guy from Traveler's Tales, he worked mm -hmm. on uh, Sonic 3D Blast. Mm. He actually uh, even did a ROM hack of Sonic 3D Blast, uh, 3D Blast Director's Cut. But anyway, he, he talks about, he, he's one of the programmers that worked on those and he talks about all the crazy stuff they did to get some of the really cool visual effects to work. There was one video where he tried running it in an emu uh, something they were doing in an emulator, and it looked like just a bunch of weird colored bands on the screen. And then he's like, okay, let's run it on a console. And it, it actually looked way better on the console. And what happens is sometimes there's like little... There's like little nuances, little things that aren't supposed to be possible, but you find a trick to do it. <laughs> mm. It's not in the specifications, but you work with the hardware enough and realize, oh, hey, I can break it just right. It'll do what I want. Yeah. And I think like an example of that on the NES is where you'd have a health bar where the character would not appear below it. You know, because sometimes you'd have like a health bar and the character would appear above the gauge or below it if they got to that point in the screen. Uh -huh. I think in the NES that wasn't technically supposed to be possible. What you did was you gave it an interrupt signal when it got to a certain point in its draw call. <laughs> so everything below that point would be like on a separate drawing routine. Wow. And so you have weird stuff like that. And that was, as far as I understand, a common abuse of the NES's hardware. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that, a lot of little technicalities. There's also things like anti-piracy measures are sometimes tripped by emulators. Another example of this is that I've run into with my Retron. I have Retron 3. And one of the disadvantages, I guess you could call it, is in pretty much every game and in most games it's difficult to tell but if you play it enough you can definitely tell mm -hmm. is for some reason the music is different the the music is not exactly the same it'll have the same tune to it but it'll be just kind of warbled a little bit it'll just be a little bit off to where you can say this is different you know this is not mm -hmm. the same that i grew up with i want to take a guess and then Glenn might know more, but probably the restaurant has like one set of sound chips and it's not the NES's sound chips or the Sega Genesis. It's kind of one that's trying to do the job for all the consoles is my assumption. Yeah, it's possible. It The thing is, it may not even be using a sound chip. It depends. If it's emulating mm. it, it would have software for each system to replicate the sound chip. Yeah. Actually, you couldn't do one sound chip for all of them because those things were... Uh, Computers nowadays are very different than the game consoles we have, uh -huh. we had back then. They were not advanced enough to run high-level 
Well, actually, no. Come to think of it, I don't know what I'm talking about because <laughs> that would be that wouldn't even matter. Once it's compiled, it has to run on a certain certain set of hardware that's compiled mm. for. If if you look at how the NES and the Super Nintendo's processor works, it's very different than the Sega Genesis. I'm actually thinking about writing an article on it at some point. Mm. And then for some things, the Internet Archive steps in and they collect things, they preserve mm-hmm. things, like they tried to do Nintendo Power, which is kind of another tangent of this discussion is like gaming-related things, gaming journalism right. preservation. Mm. And Nintendo Power got all their issues posted up on there and then taken down pretty quickly. But what are some other things that Internet Archive has done? Um, they have a collection of DOS games. Yes. And I think that's really cool. And so you can just go on and you can play these games in your browser, but uh, the Nintendo-related ones are, I found both Mario's Game Gallery and a DOS port of Donkey Kong, which okay. the latter of which I would not recommend. It's not that good. <laughs> but <laughs> I did play Mario's Game Gallery, and I am proud to say I beat Mario at Go Fish on, the, uh, <laughs> on my first try, which yes. from what I understand is not easy because Mario is a notorious cheater at uh. Go Fish. <laughs> and, and if I may interject, and this is probably common knowledge to most people, that was Charles Martinet's first appearance as Mario. Really? Yes. Wow. Mario's Game oh, Gallery. It, yeah, I knew it was Charles Martinet. I I could have sworn his first appearance was Mario Teaches Typing, but okay. I think it was the Game Gallery, but you know, I'm sure I'm, they were pretty close. I'm going to defer to you on this one because I uh, this is one area where my Mario knowledge is insufficient. Now, if you excuse me, I need to go commit seppuku. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that, Glenn. <laughs> So, Glenn, after this whole discussion, I think we should all go online and pirate as much games as we can for the greater good, right? Uh, well, yeah, and that's the thing is... Well, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't suggest pirating games that are widely available. Like, Nintendo clearly makes most of their classics available, so don't... Just just pay Nintendo the money, okay? Don't, okay. don't be a jerk. Yeah. But the thing is, not every company is going to re-release every game. And some games, you know, like I mentioned, Earthbound, for the longest time for us in North America, and certainly for people in Europe where it, it was never released in PAL territories. Is it PAL or P-A-L? I call it PAL. Okay. We're, we're not European. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we'll have to ask Terry about that. I think it's PAL. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait, but, wait, 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 Glenn. By... Apologizing for not being European, does that make you Canadian? <laughs> that makes me American. <laughs> <laughs> but apologizing for it, that's a Canadian thing to do. Oh, yeah. Or is it a I, Midwestern I thing to do? It's only Canadian if you say sorry. Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> he said sorry clearly, so that. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's American. Okay, anyways, continue. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. So Sorry. that does leave there's there's what's known as abandonware where the company uh, either doesn't care about it anymore, or uh, and this is more common with DOS games, mm-hmm. or the company doesn't exist anymore and there's no one laying claim to the copyright. So those cases, it, the internet has typically agreed. There's a gentleman's agreement about this that those are open game just because uh, no one's going to stop you and it's the only way we're going to preserve that game. So it's not like a federal law that you can't download these games. It's you would be stealing from a company if they're still a company, if they're still in business, if they still care. Mm-hmm. 
that's the thing, right? Like, well, and here's the thing: we we have. To, I need to make clear about copyright laws. Copyright law is kind of weird because it, it's not one of those things where the police are out looking for you. It you you know looking for copyright breakers. Enforcing copyright is the responsibility of the copyright owner. Yeah. Right. So so it gives them grounds to sue you if they're in business, if they have lawyers, if that's something that they would want to do, right? Yeah, so this is one of those things where it is kind of a legal gray area. And for the record, none of us have any background in law to my knowledge. I don't sound like an expert right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, don't take this as legal counsel. I've watched Judge Judy before. You know, I, I've played a ton cool. of Ace Attorney. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Rinder is also cool. Judge Rinder? Um, yes. I don't know who he is. So, abandonware is typically um, agreed upon, again, by the internet, not by actual legal means to be fair game. But it becomes more of an issue when we talk about rare now print games. And I personally, while I don't pirate games, I, I try to avoid that because I'm someone who wants to sell software for a living. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that'd be kind of hypocritical. And I, I do appreciate the fact that it is out there on the internet and available. And you have all of these weird, obscure games. And a lot of them aren't even good games. So no one really cares about them, but they are available and preserved. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where it's like, I don't really want to be a part of it for obvious reasons, but mm-hmm. I do appreciate its existence. I, it's, it's almost a necessary evil in a way. I see. Yeah, Rare and Out prank games are a different story because oftentimes these do ha- still have active copyright holders and they may be re-released in the future, mm-hmm. but they may not be. And so you can justify it by saying, I'm not stealing from the company because it's out of print, so they're, I'd have to buy it used, so they're not making any money off of it. But then you realize, well, then I'm taking money away from the resale market. Right. Yeah. And so... You're not voting with your money anymore at that point. Yeah, and that's one of the things. I, I try to... I like going to the resale sh- stores because, one, they always treat me pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um give me pretty good deals and stuff but two I, I think it's important to support that so that we have that means of legitimately getting older titles okay like we mentioned what what's y'all's think uh opinion of this i just download the game and i take some cash and flush it down the toilet so i feel like <laughs> that kind of balances everything out <laughs> um no, I, I agree with you, Glenn, and I think I think what you said is important about the whole necessary evil thing. Not that that's a great term, but the older I get, the more I understand the philosophy of I don't necessarily agree with whatever this philosophy is, but I appreciate it being there because if the other side of the philosophy existed without this side of the philosophy, then things would be ten times worse than they are now. I appreciate its existence because it makes me look better by comparison. (laughs) (laughs) That's also a good way of looking at it. Yeah. But, yeah, it's one of those things where these a lot of games would not be preserved if it weren't for people just saying, hey, I have a ROM of this. I'm going to throw it up on the internet. No one cares anyway. So while on one hand, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's illegal, but on the other hand, this is the only way it's going to be preserved. Exactly. And I, it, it's a shame. I really do wish that there was some means of just preserving these things as an art form, like a Library of Congress or something. Ooh, I like that idea. 
I also think something that could be better is like all companies who offer online modes, maybe they have to pay for this very stable, long-term focused service where it's their servers and they're committed to staying online for many years instead of it just being every company for themselves trying to hold on to their servers for as long as they could. I think well, that- if, if we're going to go for like the online thing, a lot of games come, like if I were to download Team Fortress 2, you know, PC games, or uh, let's go with Counter-Strike. If I were to download Counter-Strike, I could get the dedicated server software and run my own Counter-Strike server if I wanted to. Yeah, and that's, but that's it, not a thing for playing on a Nintendo system. Yeah, and so I think it would be good practice to, if you're going to end online infrastructure for something, to maybe patch the game so that you can choose which server you connect to. I like that. And mm. then then release the, the dedicated server software. Assuming that that doesn't like screw up the security of your other games, like they're you can reverse engineer that software and suddenly you can cheat at like Street Fighter or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But Simeon, are you gonna buy Bayonetta before Wii U eShop goes offline as a game preservationist to purchase the Smash oh. Bros. character that you despise? <sighs> I. Mm, that's (laughs) tough I think I have all the stages I probably would honestly I probably would alright good job I I do not want to spend that cash now because (laughs) you don't play Bayonetta and I don't play Bayonetta and I have no interest in playing Bayonetta and you have no interest in playing Bayonetta so but we need to bring complete software into the next generation that's true but also switch might have a re-release <laughs> of what we have now in a definitive or and or tournament edition and yep. i am losing faith that that will happen day by day <laughs> i don't know i think the switch is actually a pretty cool platform because so many definitive ultimate dx that's so editions true. are coming to this console that's so true i think that yeah. it's gonna have like a lot of the most important games from the last decade on it and new yeah and the switch too. already has a lot of arcade emulated games yeah. I, heck i've even dropped eight bucks on a uh, snk game i only, i've never even played snk i was just curious <laughs> <laughs> hamster's doing good work mm-hmm. any final thoughts before i close out the show well this has been enlightening i hope that each of us knows a few more things that we can do better to help preserve the industry that we love so much and i hope that mm-hmm. Publishers and developers will continue to look at this like a serious topic and make some improvements, too. So if anybody sees any cool movements on change.org, sign them. Yes. Because this is important stuff. Has change.org actually ever changed anything? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember signing, oh, maybe it wasn't a change.org petition, but signing the petition that was supposed to go to Obama when he was in office that him and his wife, if they got enough signatures, would reenact the scene from The Incredibles, the, honey, where's my super suit? I definitely signed that petition. I know it got enough signatures to where, I think it was a government website. I don't think it was change.org. Oh, right, right. That he, he actually had to look at it. And sadly, he probably just was like, no. Huh. Which makes me sad. That I is wish. sad because Obama actually did a lot with YouTubers. Remember that, that's like, true. Yeah, that's right. I remember. Yeah, that, that would have been kind of in character for him. But <laughs> <laughs> would have been great. 
Thanks uh, for listening to this podcast, and I hope that you enjoy this content because we make a lot more for you to enjoy, and that a lot of it is on twobuttoncrew.com. You can find everything we do there, including our main show, which is the Two Button Crew live show, streamed live every weekend where we play brand new Switch games, old retro games, so that we can preserve our experiences with them and enjoy them. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we entertain you by doing stuff like throwing Super Mario cereal across the room into the back of each other's throats and stuffing our mouths and uh, what was it last week? Something... It was our mouths. Oh, yes. We pried open our mouths with giant uh, Watch your mouth. That was apparatuses. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Watch your mouth. So if you're a Nintendo fan, I know that you'll enjoy youtube.com slash crew. You can also type it out, TWO button crew, into any social media platform, and there we will be. Now, you may just be kind of a packet sniffer that's kind of checking out our content, seeing if you like it. But if you are one of the faithful crew members, then head on over to patreon.com slash two button crew, or you can get exclusive content by supporting us. So if you enjoy our ad-free podcast and YouTube channel, that's how you can support us on Patreon. Packet Sniffer. It's kind of like someone who's just checking things out. Right? Did I understand that term correctly? (laughs) Uh, No, it's more like someone who's... Imagine someone that, like, a TSA agent X-raying shoes and stuff, making sure... There's nothing in it that's ah, bad. Or, or a bomb dog. Oh, well, I think people got the idea. Yeah. <laughs> we will see you guys next podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.